Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four. And England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket look back at the fourth day at Edgebaston. This podcast is an association with IG Trading and Investments. They'll be so happy after this fourth day and the climax uh, upon us. 174 for Australia to win, seven wickets for England to take. And do you know, Simon, the classic thing, I mentioned this a couple of days ago, how uncanny it is that history repeats itself with things like dramatic first balls of Ashes series and fantastic overs at the same location. So uh, Fleddy Flintoff's brilliant over at Edgebaston in 2005, mirroring Stuart Broad's brilliant over in the first innings of Australia's innings here with two wickets, similar sort of style and the way he bowled and so on. And now another bit of history, 282 is what Australia needed in that final innings at Edgebaston in 2005. 281 they need today, or tomorrow rather, uh, having started today. And we have Michael Vaughan, who of course captained England in that dramatic Edgebaston Test match in 2005, looking back on that final day in 2005, when of course England won by two runs. So that's coming up later in the podcast. But how about this match, Simon? Who are your favourites? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's right in the balance. I, well, I noticed yours actually at the end of England's innings. The uh, the betting markets were favouring Australia. Winviz was betting us favouring Australia. You were favouring England. You, you actually put it out there on Twitter. I thought it was quite a brave thing to say. You said you think England were marginal favourites. You gave it a bit of the old Brexit, didn't you? 52-48 yeah. in favour of England. Why, why did you feel that after watching the way that the England lower order just seemed to? Able, be able to survive. I mean, Jimmy Anderson made a few runs. Stuart Broad, Ollie Robinson. They extended the innings. It just the pitch just looked so benign. What what was your hunch? What was the, what was your thinking behind well, that? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, no England batsman got fifty. 
Uh, and, you know, scoring runs, getting out doesn't seem to be too too easy, but scoring runs uh, doesn't seem, seem to be too easy either. And uh, just g- getting momentum in an innings doesn't seem to be, kind of, it's not a, a, a pitch where the ball's coming onto the bat and making stroke play uh, straightforward. That was the first thing. The second thing is that, that I just felt England's bowlers on this pitch might be effective, particularly broad. And that was before the inning started. And actually, the third thing is just the Edgebaston crowd. You know, the, the way they are a 12th man, even a 13th man for England. And I, I could see them getting into it and, and, and kind of really getting behind the England bowlers and obviously Broad particularly being inspired by that. And obviously Stokes, as captain as well, has just had this sort of bit of a Midas touch and lots of innovation and ideas and imagination. So I thought the combination of all those just gave England a hint of a chance that the fact they got past the 250 mark to set Australia 280 as well, I thought was crucial. And I don't know, there'll be a stat out there, I'm sure Andy Zaltzman will have it, how many teams, uh, what's the percentage of, of you know successful run chases over 250 in the history of Test cricket? But I bet it's less than 10%. Mm. Well, Australia have uh, never chased this many apart from once, and that was back in 1948 in an Ashes series in England. Back in 1948, Bradman's great team, they were able to ch- chase a, a, a decent score in the, in the final innings of the Test match. So 281 to win. What were you thinking at 60 for no wicket, though, when uh, Warner and Kawaja were, were seemingly untroubled, really? I mean, there was that first over where Kawaja nicked one and no one went for it. It was Bairstow's catch. It just seemed a bit wrong-footed, a bit... Uh, Unsighted yeah. because because Kawaja nicks it sort of off the stump. Strangely, normally nicks all from outside the off stump, but it was a straight ball. It, it, it probably surprised him. But apart from that, there wasn't a great deal happening, was there? Really, for England's bowlers? No, but again, going back to my sort of previous argument. Firstly, if you look back to the history of 2005, Australia chasing 282 in the final innings were 48 for no wicket on that occasion. Hayden and Langer when Freddie got the ball and, and changed the game. And also, actually, both in, generally in this match, the ball seems to have started swinging and moving a little bit more after about 20 overs. For the first 10 overs or so, it seems to go straight. And then someone, whether it's Broad or whether it's Boland or whoever, seems to just get it to, to do something. When the, the lacquer has worn off and one side is nicely polished, it seems to just behave a bit more obediently for the bowlers. So I wasn't that worried about 60 for no wicket. You know, 281 runs in the fourth innings of a test match on a fifth day, fourth and fifth days, is hard. It's tough. Let's go back to the start of the day. I mean, I don't think I can remember seeing... I've seen, we've seen some amazing cricket in the last year or so since the Brendan McCullum, uh, Ben Stokes axis has, has been formed. That first hour, you know, if you think of the, the, the situation of the game, you know, everything that was at stake in the match, that, that first hour was, was breathtaking. It was, as, it was as good a test cricket as you could possibly uh, wish to see. And that didn't just include England playing all sorts of outrageous shots, but also that ball that Cummins got Ollie Pope with, a tremendous delivery. But the first ball of the day, Yoz, Joe Root playing a reverse ramp off the first ball of the day and you know inevitably you think imagine if he got out to that you know what everyone would have said he missed it so Jason Gillespie on Test Match Special says it's going to be the, the most talked about dot ball in Test history uh, you know you, a bit of hyperbole but you can understand what he means it was an outrageous start to the day it's mental isn't it uh, I, and I, I don't know what a conventional bat 
batter as Joe Root is can be thinking really to do that to the first ball. I, I mean, whether there's something about his uh, thinking about it deeply that he knows that Pat Cummings is going to bowl just just outside off stump to start with on a length, and he's that predictable yeah. that he knows he can play a shot like that without any risk. But you can't guarantee that at all. I suppose, from Root's point of view, you could see what he was trying to do. There were three slips in a gully, I think, at that point. It was quite an attacking field. There was nobody back at third man. And what he really likes, his trademark shot is the little dab on the offside for a single, which was blocked off at that moment, or was a bit of a risky shot with four slips in place. So shift those slips, and then he can play his natural game. And actually, he did that, because although he missed that one, he then did a couple more reverse ramps later in the first 20 minutes or so, and got them away. And then they it forced a field change, and he could then pick up runs at will. Mm. Yeah, and, and they, they were outrageous strokes. I and mean, Carey was standing up. It was horrible for Alex Carey standing up with root reverse ramping because you, you might get one in the in the face I know you've got a helmet on but even so you're getting the ball flying off the bat straight into your face from that close but he's probably relieved to see the ball go over his shoulder I mean it was, it was outrageous cricket England scoring very freely and then came the wicket Ollie Pope cleaned up by uh, Cummins 77 for three then that really enterprising partnership between uh, Root and Harry Brook I thought Brook played really nicely looked confident hit the ball well and then the, and England were going, you know, but they were bounding along, weren't they? They scored so freely, around about eight, what, 80 runs in that first hour. Then Root got out, and it was amazing how the the, the, the gear changed, really. And we then had more conventional cricket. And we talked about Joe Root, his, his, the first shot of the day, the reverse ramp. That was his first stumping ever in first-class cricket. And if you... I, you could barely believe he played the shot, really. Can he dancing down the pitch? He tried to hit it out to Sir Harry's pub, which is outside the ground, at deep mid wicket over Cow Corner at Edgbaston, and you end up with a head up stumping. I mean, he's he, he, he about just about the last play you'd have thought would have played that shot. Yeah, absolutely right. And and actually, it, it kind of, I suppose, it would have um, slightly shocked our, our sponsors because. Uh, we have uh, we, we've, we've announced during this podcast that the the sponsors IG have teamed up with the ECB to launch the Net Gains Fund, the IG Net Gains Fund, a commitment to invest in new public net facilities in locations around the country. And of course, Joe Root, being one of the most avid net practices, you'd have thought, well, he practices every shot he's going to use in a match. I bet he doesn't practice the dance up the wicket and try and you know absolutely smike it into deep, long on sort of territory. He's much more methodical in his net practice. Uh, so for once, you know, nets haven't necessarily come to his aid. But by the way, it's a great initiative from IG and you should check out more about it because it is something that is needed, these public net facilities around the country. Uh, so to check out more about the IG Net Gains Fund, go to ig.com forward slash investing. Anyway, the, the, the scoring rate, as you say, slowed after Root's departure. And also Brooke, actually, who was brilliantly caught by Labuschagne at mid-wicket. And that's what I mean about the pitch. Actually, it, once the ball gets a bit softer, especially, it, it sort of dies on the pitch and it's hard to play your shots. So Stokes and Bairstow had to, to, to grind it out for a while. 
Yeah, Ben Stokes, um, in a way, he, he played in the way, I, well, you haven't necessarily been calling for him to do so, but I have, not that he would take any notice to me, but the point being that you know, it seems the most sensible way for him to play. You know, he hasn't been playing much cricket. It, it, it didn't feel like a net out there, but there, was sort of, there were hints of it, you know, just trying to f- piece it together, find his way in the game, and he was, he was scoring nicely, uh, Ben Stokes, not particularly quickly. He was, you know, gave himself time to get in, and then he started to play a few shots, and that's... You always feel that's where he's at his best. But Cummins, again, you know, excellent. He got rid of Pope with a a brilliant Yorker, and he also pinned Stokes as well. So there are a few England uh, batters today who you might consider tossed it away. Root was, you know, the the ultimate of that. I suppose you could say that, that Brooks' shot was... Well, it was, I could argue it was unfortunate. It was a slightly short ball. He tried to go back and pummel it into the onside. It was really well caught. Superb catch, actually, by Labuschagne, uh, low to his right at, at mid-wicket. But you know, Stokes was actually got out, wasn't he, he you know, by Cummins, who took four for 63. And I thought he was excellent. I mean, that, that first spell, he looked, he looked really threatening. It was, it, that was why it was such thrilling cricket with you know, Joe Root out there and, and, and Pope to start with. It was, it was thrilling cricket because he was getting the ball to go. And, and you know, and he, and he picked up vital wickets along along the way. He's uh, he's really developed his in swinger in the last couple of years. It wasn't one uh, one of the balls he really uh, kind of had a, had a control over before, but he's exploited any kind of shine on the ball now to bowl a almost a whacker Eunice kind of big booming in swinger when he wants to. And the one, as you say, to Pope, absolutely brilliant. Um, Bearstow out to a reverse sweep. I mean, you know, you could be slightly critical of that, but he was trying to get on with it and Lyon was starting to look quite awkward. So, uh, you know, fair enough in a way. I mean, it's a it's a dangerous shot, but these guys play it so often now, it doesn't feel like a risk. So so he, he was out as well. And England sort of kept getting ahead, didn't they? And, and you just thought forming partnerships and then a wicket fell... And, you know, kind of advantage back to Australia again. I, I guess it was one of those days. Yeah, it was. Every time England went sort of nosing ahead, they'd lose a wicket. And it, it just felt like a, a real tightrope day. An extraordinary day's cricket, really, in which you know, no one made 50, but only one batter didn't make double figures. And that batter, you know, the great Steve Smith, and we'll, we'll come on to his wicket in a, in a short while, out towards the end of the day's play to give England a huge lift. Yeah, everyone contributed. You're right. I mean, you know, Ollie Robinson, 27 there, played pretty well. Stuart Broad stuck it out. Jimmy reverse swept a boundary. And uh, he, I think he even pulled a boundary, didn't he, actually, as well? Or he square cut one. He hit one square, square cut one, yeah. Uh, emphatically. So, you know, everyone, as you say, got into double figures. I, I thought when England were about 254-8, I thought, well, you know, that's advantage Australia. But they managed to eke out 273 all out in the end and so I thought you know that just for me lifted England's target just possibly out of reach of Australia and as I say 282 was the target they had in the fourth innings of the match at Edgemission in 2005 281 it is in this game and of course it came to this absolutely climatic conclusion in 2005 and Michael Vaughan was of course the England captain there Uh, the game seesawed uh, wickets fell as Australia tried to chase the target It, it got to the end of the day the last over Australia was seven down but they still needed over 100 to win. And, you know, it was in the balance. Steve Harmison bowls a slower ball and cleans up Michael Clark 
with the last ball of the day. So it left Australia requiring still over 100 runs to win with just a two wickets left. But of course, Shane Warne at the crease. And as I say, Michael Vaughan, the captain on the day, he reflects on the situation and what happened the following day. We thought the game was done and dusted. We thought Warney had chipped one in the air in the morning and only take 20 minutes. The ball had been reverse swinging. I was thinking, well, how's it not going to continue to reverse swing? It's dry, there's no rain. Well, we arrived on Sunday morning, it went gun barrel straight. Didn't do anything. And then Warney gets a few boundaries. We had to put cover point on the boundary. Um, and the momentum just started to change. He then stands on his stumps, which was uh, nice of him. And then Kasparovic comes out there and Brett Lee, who seemed to be getting peppered. Big Fred was charging in, getting the ball to nip back. And there was a group of Aussie fans in the stand. There's like 40, 50, I think Big Merv, Big Mervy Hughes was in him. And the car singing, 50 runs to go. And it kept on going down and down and down. And, and I started, I was cool to start with. I was thinking, we're going to lose this. This is ridiculous. They're going to get over the line. This is how great a side they are. That they, they didn't really play good cricket throughout the whole test match. But, you know, they were about to win the win the game and I started to talk in my own mind oh, but at least we competed you know we've played really good cricket so we can we can be proud of our performance because we've competed with this great side and then in, and then I told him so I could, we have to win we don't beat him on on this occasion he's probably going to be five nil because we'll be dejected we've got no chance of picking the lads up for Old Trafford in a few day, days time so thankfully Big Steve produces a, a delivery ball one to Brett Lee which was a wide full toss that got crashed and I thought that certainly went Luckily to Simon Jones on the cover point boundary, which gave us an op- opportunity to bowl to Kasparovic. And I, I don't remember saying anything to him. I don't remember saying bowl the bouncer. He 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 just did that. Uh, and luckily, he probably wasn't out. He probably only had one hand on the bat. But we're in the days of no reviews. Uh, and to be fair to Girant Jones, he'd copped a load from the Aussies. And he takes a good catch. And I guess the, the rest is history. Most people know where they were that day. Those that can remember it those of you listening to this podcast who can remember it where were you presumably you were in the channel 4 truck were you i was in the channel 4 truck and the amazing thing about it was i mean we were gripped and we thought actually on that occasion we thought this is make or break for england because they'd lost the first test at lords it was that fantastic australian team of 2005 who if they won that test match as michael vaughan implied there if they won that test match, they were going to go 2-0 up and it was the time of the year when the Premier League was about to come back. So we'd had a, sort of a week or a couple of weeks window before football was back again. And we thought 2-0 to Australia, another Ashes win, another Ashes whitewash on the cards. Uh, cricket would just be eclipsed and football, it would all be football and wags and Wayne Rooney, etc. So it was, a, it was a massive kind of pivotal moment in the summer. But then... About 15 minutes after the end of the game, when England miraculously won, somebody in the truck said to me, Yozza, have a look at this, have a look at this. And he showed me a replay on one of his screens that he'd wound back on of the final wicket. Kasparovic caught down the leg side. And he said, I don't think his hand was on the bat. Look at this. And we slowed it down and we had a look. And the Kasparovic's hand that was brushed by the ball was actually off the bat as it was hit. Uh, It was caught down the leg side, but it wasn't out technically because his hand wasn't on the bat. So if there'd been DRS in those days, 
he would have been reprieved if there was any reviews left. Australia might not have had any reviews left, of course, uh, given the sort of what happened in 2019. But if there had been a review and they'd reviewed it, they would have been given not out and then they probably would have gone on to win. Yeah. So, you know, it was those sort of tiny margins that that whole series was all about. Mm. Do, do you think he would have reviewed it, though? Because he, he knew he'd hit it, didn't he? I suppose you'd go, oh, well, I'll, I'll review it just in case because it's the last wicket. But he knew he'd gloved it. So would he have had the presence of mind to think, actually... Oh, my hand was slightly off the bat. Possibly, I don't know. Well, is, hopefully, is the, the tail. Hopefully, his partner Brett Lee would have said had to the, him, yeah. the, the nous to, to suggest he reviewed it. Yeah. Well, well, it was an incredible. I think my mo- abiding memory of that final day was going into it. You thought, yeah, England had to win. Australia needed over a hundred runs to win with two wickets left, and even this great Australian, indomitable Australian side. You know, it, surely they can't get out of this because England had bowled really well the day before as well, and they put them under so much pressure. They'd taken the eight wickets. It was the, it was it was the lower order. They didn't have a top order batter left, and then that sort of I think I think this is a common feeling. There was just a sickening feeling among. The England fans who were at Edgbaston, oh no, they you know they are going to do it. This is this is just not possible. This is this is sort of against all cricketing logic and, and almost an element of this isn't fair. Uh, but there we go. We had that incredible uh, denouement. Uh, the, the rest is history, as they say. And England uh, went on to win the series in dramatic fashion at the Oval. They did. And that uh, little clip from Vaughan there is part of a, a podcast series I've recorded with Stephen Fry. It's called Legends of the Ashes. You'll see it on the global podcast platform and on all, the, all other podcast platforms as well. It's a 10-part series and there's lots of other classic moments from the Ashes captured in that series. And interestingly, if you're at one of the men's Ashes test matches this summer, you'll have the chance to experience some of these memorable Ashes moments yourself by stepping into the IG Net Gains Arena. It's a cricket simulator that replicates many of the great deliveries that you might have seen from Ashes Pass. And you can face them, including Shane Wall's Ball of the Century. The more runs you score in the Net Gains Arena, the more money goes to the IG Net Gains Fund. So good luck and look out for that facility if you're at one of the games. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so Australia needing 281 to win uh, when they set out. You were reasonably confident that England were going to win the match because of the, the reasons you gave earlier what turned it in England's favour 
ultimately, how do, you know, how do they get Warner, Labuschagne and Smith out? And I note that Labuschagne and Smith, between them in this test match, 35 runs in the four innings. If you said that to England before the game, I mean, they would barely believe that, I think, that they were going to get them so cheaply. Now, if, if Australia were to go on and win this game, you know, they get, get the runs with those two failing, I mean, what an amazing achievement that would be and, and how sort of deflating for England. But anyway, how were they able to get those wickets? How was Robinson able to get Warner out? And how did Broad do what he did against Labuschagne and Smith? Well, firstly, I, I thought Warner was an important uh, uh, element of the, of the run and chase because he's so pugnacious and he can, you know, can get you off to a rapid start. And he actually played really well. And, and he got some pull cup shots away and a couple of cuts. And he was looking really strong and confident, uh, which he hasn't looked against England in England for the last you know, few series or a couple of series. And uh, it was the broad effect, in a way, that got Warner out because he didn't get the wicket broad, but uh, Ollie Robinson used the same tactics uh, that Broad has, has had a lot of success with against Warner. Round the wicket, angle a few in, and then just get one to hold up. That actually was a, a cross-seam delivery from Robinson. So instead of his customary ball that's probably angling in to the left-hander, it just held its line. It was a perfect line and length. It was one of those that you weren't really quite sure whether you should play it or not because it was angling in towards the stumps and it just held its line and took a very fine edge, caught behind. And, you know, you get Labuschagne and Smith in with Broad, you know, ready to rev up again with that nasty little kind of half an hour to go in the day's play. It's a perfect time to bowl. Uh, the, the ball, I think, just started, was starting to just swing a little bit. Labuschagne actually hasn't looked great in, in this series so far. And in, in, in fact, he, he, he didn't look quite right in the World Test Championship final either. I think he's uh, set up at the moment. I mean, he, he's talked about this actually, playing for Glamorgan. He's found that the pitch is very low, so he's got, um, you know, trying to avoid LBW, he's got batting out of his crease and virtually outside off stump, and he's now playing at balls he doesn't need to play at. So the wicket that he, the, the delivery he was out to today to Broad was actually a little bit wide, like the first innings. He could easily have left it. Uh, so he's playing at balls and going at balls a bit hard that he doesn't need to. So he was out for 13. And then I think just Broad and the crowd generally just sort of revved up. And Smith was subjected to a real searching examination of balls swinging both ways. He was nearly out a couple of balls before he was out with a, a bit, an inside edge. No, sorry. In fact, it was an outside edge, wasn't it? It was an in-swinger yeah. that he tried to drive. And the outside edge, a very fine edge, then went onto his back pad and just fell short of, of Johnny Bairstow catching behind. Uh, and it, it could have either bowled him off the inside, off, sorry, off the outside edge. It could have bowled him off the outside edge or been caught. But he got luckily got away with it. And then a couple of balls later, a similar delivery, very full. And Smith loves hanging on the back foot, doesn't he? And it was a very full in-swinger, which seemed to just perhaps hold its line a touch and move a fraction away enough to take the edge so it was it was just a brilliant passage of play by Stuart Broad who is so inspired by these moments 
Yeah, well, it was it was a potentially a game-changing moment. Goodness, for me, the celebration as well. Broad knew he'd, he'd done something big in this test match, a sprint off towards a cover to celebrate. We've seen a few bowlers do that over the years. I think the first person I ever saw do that was Courtney Walsh in a test match at Old Trafford where he sprinted down, just didn't know how to celebrate, ran out towards square leg. Broad was off to cover, and his teammates were rushing over to celebrate, and so were the Hollistan and all the spectators here at Edgbaston, all the England supporters anywhere here, because it felt such a big moment in the game 89 for three three quick wickets Warner Labashane and Smith Kawaja still battling away I mean he looks immovable doesn't he? I mean he's a, he's a little bit strokeless but he looks immovable I mean what are England gonna do about him I mean they, they tried the old uh, umbrella field that got him out in the first innings but he wasn't go, he wasn't falling for that again he was just going back into his stumps just patting it either side of the wicket not scoring particularly freely but just holding England up I mean, he's a danger, actually, because he's so calm. Mm. I, think, I think the thing about both Labuschagne and Smith is that they're so intense as characters. And when you get this, this moment where you know, Broad is surging to the wicket, egged on by the Edgbaston crowd and the adrenaline and everything, you know, that, that can have an effect on you as a batter, can't it? And, and just make you kind of a bit more rushed in your movements or, uh, you know, just kind of get make, make tiny little errors. But Kawada just seems completely serene, as if nothing is really affecting him. So that's what Australia need, is a calm presence at the crease. And he is definitely one that England will need to shift in the morning. I actually thought Scott Boland played well yeah. too. Night watchman, thrown in at at the deep end there, having to bat for like quite a long time as well, 10, 15 minutes. And as a night watchman, you have to take most of the strike so that the, the, the senior batsman doesn't have to face too many deliveries. And actually, he got some very good balls, which he kept out and scored quite a useful 13 not out as well. So he did, he did extremely well. So Australia, although 89 for three, they'll be looking down the barrel potentially with their two big batting Galacticos out... Now at 107 for three, with a night watchman at the crease, they'll they'll feel they will feel slightly confident, I think. But it, it's amazing, you know, the the, the shift in the Winvis uh, predictor when Smith was out, it went from something like Australia 56 percent chance of victory to sort of 38 percent in one one wicket. So it just shows how important that is. Yeah, well, that is the Steve Smith effect, isn't it? I mean, you can dig in, win win the game. So what do you what do you give Australia's what do you give Australia's oh, chances now then? Now, yeah. Um, well, I think I think sixty forty now to England. 60-30. Sorry. Sixty forty. Although that actually there's there's some weather around, isn't there, yeah. in the morning? What's your latest on that? Well, I think the feeling is is there is going to be some rain in the morning. Uh, just a question when it clears. The, I think the feeling is there's going to be enough of a of a gap in the weather you know, once the rain stops for there to be sufficient play to, to finish the test match, and we can make up a few overs as well. So you know, it might be a late finish in the day. The one thing that strikes me, it's a lovely sunny evening here in Edgbaston. If we do get some rain, there might be some overheads in the morning when play starts. So there might be a completely different feel. I know England you know, were able to get the ball doing something under sunny skies on this abrasive, now very dry pitch. Uh, this evening, but it might be a you know completely different feel again in the morning. You know, perhaps you know the lights will be on. Perhaps it'll be overcast, and you know you feel that might be a, a different sort of challenge uh, for Australia. But you know, the the big players are out for them now, so it's you know it's up to the likes of of Kawaja and Travis Head and. 
Carey and Green to, to get them over the line in you know in, in what is going to be a, a, a riveting uh, final day and a, and a very tense uh, final day as well. I mean, it's the, it's the old adage, isn't it? 174 to win. That's probably I don't know. They've got to bat for another who knows 350 balls, something like whatever it is. England are seven balls away from victory, so it's that it's it's that really it's that pressure that builds uh, on teams that that chase. But you know you wouldn't roll Australia out. Uh, e equally, England will feel, I think, pretty confident after four days that they can uh, take the match. Uh, albeit, if it's, you know, it might be a very uh, tight finish. I don't think. Uh, can our hearts stand another Edgbaston 2005 uh, type finish? Uh, it will be pulsating. In, in a way, the game sort of deserves it. It's been a it's been a gripping Test match. Okay, the pitch has been a bit turgid, but it's been a gripping game of cricket that's fluctuated one way and the other. It's had loads of talking points. It's had some outstanding performances. It's had some flawed performances as well. And you, you might argue that England, you know, if they don't win the game, they'll kick themselves. Think of the chances they've missed. Think back to the first day when they declared. I mean, they, you know, I think they love another. You know, 30, 40 runs now to make it even harder for Australia, but they gave up that chance with Root on a 118 uh, not out. But you know, it's just been a brilliant Test match. That it sort of feels as though it deserves an incredible finish. And I'm pretty sure it'll get one. So uh, the Ashes continuing to live up to its huge billing, and we're excited for the fifth day, uh, as I'm sure you are. And we'll be back at this time tomorrow to see what happens. Good luck to both sides. And we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, thanks very much for listening. I, I've got no idea what's going to happen. Let's, um, let's let the, the match play out and take its course and hope for something uh, really dramatic again. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.